The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Excuse me, Miss. Excuse me, Mr. James. Yes, James. Yes, uh, Mr. James. Yes, me, yes. I have an important message for you here, Mr. James. Oh, that's a splendid news. I I don't even know who you are. You've just broken into my room here, but oh, that's uh, not true. You're just pulling. I'm just. You're just pulling my chain leg. You know me. You hired me. Yeah, I'm pulling your chain leg. It's um. It's a horrible disfigurement that you have there, (laughs) chain leg, but... The doctor said they have it figured out soon, what, what. But uh, you you hired me, and uh, I I have a... You you remember, it was all... Oh, you remember, that's right. And uh, I've got a a few messages for you here Uh while you were away. Okay. Oh, oh, yeah, right, sorry. I got hit on the head, and I forgot that you're my secretary. Yeah, uh, this one here just says, um, remember the cantaloupe, um, and it was left by your accountant, and, uh, mm. Mm. Well, Yeah, I, I remember those. I don't rightly know what that could mean, but, you know, I suppose it could mean anything. But, yeah, remember the cantaloupe. Does that ring any bells? Yeah. It does, it does. It was to remind me to... Look up cantaloupe on Wikipedia later on to determine whether or not they are, in fact, the musk melon. Oh, that's very interesting, and I, I can't imagine why your accountant would have been asking about that. Hold on, hold on one second. I'm getting a call. Hello? Hello, hello? <laughs> oh, this is the officer James. No, not that James. No, he's the crazy bloke from that M. Night Shyamalan movie. This is a different James. Now, you're, th- you're thinking of Professor X. No, 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 no. This is James. Cantaloupe is a musk melon. Oh, Thanks, I Wikipedia. I, okay. No, it was an honest mistake. All right, goodbye, Ben. Um, we've been intimate. Oh. Oh, ha- have we? <laughs> <laughs> 
those are best yet. Uh, hi. Hi. Uh, that was an intimate secretary thing. Hi, uh, this is Paul Kaminsky uh, coming to you live in the Third Men podcast. Also known as a net melon. Wow. <laughs> Wikipedia, you're just the tops. I'm James Kaminsky, your other co-host of this Jack White podcast, supposedly. Yeah, and uh, as you may have guessed by our hilarious introduction, um, this is a uh, Jack White history podcast where we'll be going over the Tours album Broken Boy Soldiers. James, this is our part two episode. We started... This deep dive into the raconteurs last week, and we're back again once more here, James. Yeah, we're back. Back again. Jack is back. <laughs> Bring a friend. Uh, sure. It's an Eminem reference. It's, it's some Detroit, you know, this is a ref look. <laughs> I'm doing my best. My secretary reminded me about the melons, and I'm trying my best <laughs> to look look them up instead uh, of this podcast. So last week we talked about the inception of this album, the Raconteurs <laughs> getting thank you. Uh getting together. And um the Raconteurs, of course, are the uh the group that Jack White formed in two thousand and five, late two thousand five with his uh, friend Brendan Benson and um, mm-hmm. f- f- uh, Greenhorn Rhythm Section, Patrick Keeler and Little Jack Lawrence, and uh, they got together uh, really by a lot of happenstance and wound up recording an album together, and uh, that was released in 2006. Yeah, and it's a fantastic album. It's some of uh, Jack's finest, and uh, our personal introduction to Brendan Benson and, and his ilk, so... yeah. And last week we covered all of that, and plus we started going into the track-by-track analysis where we talked about Steady As She Goes, which was the band's uh, biggest single and and Jack White's second biggest single as a songwriter. And this week, James, we're going to finish the track-by-track, and uh, we're going to go into a little bit of reception, and we're going to talk about some final thoughts from the group, and we're also going to give the album a rating. So lots to do today, James. Alrighty then. Whoa, yeah, I thought that was where you were going <laughs> What? Is- Excuse me, Mr. James Yeah, yes, yeah, the uh, secretary The 90s called and said, what the fuck <laughs> They um, also told me to tell you, don't look up And then there's just a date written right. here It says December 14th so, I, I don't know what that means, but I think you should look up on December 14th. I'm, I'm looking up December 14th right now. <laughs> but before we get to all of that, James... Is there something we should... It's the 348th day of the Gregorian calendar. Before we get to all that, Paul, is there something we should stop doing? Yeah, we gotta stop breaking down. Oh, James, would you want to tell the people what Stop Breaking Down is? I would love to tell the people. Hey, you, people, Stop Breaking Down is when we screw up 
either royally or otherwise, and this is the segment in which we try and make amends with, with you fine folks and, and make make right the wrong that we have so gotten. Yeah, the wrong we've so gotten. And this episode, our stop breaking down, normally, again, comes from somebody else, but this is another one I caught. In listening to the playback of episode 34, uh, after it was already posted, so I was describing the instruments that the, the Raconteurs played, James. Do you know ah. this? you seen this? Have you heard about this? Yes, they played mostly guitars and drums, if I do recall. Yeah, so I just went on to describe that uh, that the different instruments that Jack and company played on this record, and mistakenly said that those instruments were used to record the album Broken Boy Soldiers. And while that is partly true, these instruments were Jack's and company's staple instruments actually throughout their tenure as a group. So this was not only recording Broken Boy Soldiers, but it was also touring broken boy soldiers and it even touched on uh some crossover into their follow-up album consolers of the lonely but it does give you an idea of the kind of sound they were achieving and the kinds of preferences each band member had whilst playing together in this group that's uh that's true and that came courtesy of whitestripes.net by the way which is a wonderful resource for all things jack white and they were able to provide that for me so that was great so a thank you to them and an apology to you, the listener, and uh, I will stop breaking down. And I will stop breaking down. All right, James, you ready to get back into this track by track? Uh, let's get to the track by track. <laughs> James, track two on the album Broken Boy Soldiers is one of my favorites, I think maybe the most quintessentially Brendan Benson song on this album. That would, of course, be the song Hands. Ah, Hands. Of Yeah, you're 100% right. Very Brendan Benson. He played this song, if I recall, uh, at a solo show we saw him at. Yes, we, we saw Brendan twice as a solo act, once when he was touring What Kind of World, which is a phenomenal album, and he played Hands on that tour, and it was really cool. He sounded great. And so this is another track that Jack was quoted as saying Brendan had a line or two written when the two sat down to write the album. So some of these songs were in a little more of a formed state, and some of them were a little more of an unformed sort of collaborative state and this is one that brendan actually had a few lines written of which honestly makes sense because when Mm -hmm. you listen to this song it's it's very clearly brendan you know yeah this is via uncut uk the harmonies on hands are straight off of a revolver referring to the beetle album revolver and jack white says when we started the band i knew that one thing i definitely wanted to do was two or three part harmonies which i'd never been able to do Meg had done a little bit here and there with Little Ghost and stuff like that, but we almost kind of kept it just for our country songs. Hmm. 
Jack is enjoying the collaboration once again, uh, particularly on this song, and there are some beautiful harmonies on this track. Yeah, uh, definitely, and I know we'll get to it later, but they expound upon them in level. Yeah. You know, James, I don't know if you remember this, but when this album first came out, it was pretty early into our joint Jack fandom, and one of the things I remember thinking to myself, I don't know if you had the same experience, was how similarly I felt Brendan and Jack's voices were, to the point where I was I was enough of a novice to not quite be able to pick out who was singing what right away. Yeah, I do remember this very clearly, and I think I brought it up to you separately, and you were like, yeah, I've been thinking the same thing, and, and we both kind of struggled with it for a bit, but I think we both found that their voices are a good match together and, and harmonize a complement to each other, and they harmonize very, very well together. Right. There's enough of a pitch similarity. <laughs> My favorite quote about Jack's voice was, I forget who it was from The Go, but one of the guys from The Go, he described it as like a rock and roll Ethel Merman. <laughs> um, and uh, But Brandon's much more of a, uh, a, a harmony singer. He's, he's really got that McCartney-ish sort of vibe to the way he sings, but they're a wonderful compliment to each other. That actually wasn't the only comparison to the Beatles that this song drew from critics. The website The Aquarian called out, the album tracks exert a tone reminiscent of psychedelically enlightened Beatles with songs like Hands. Hmm. So people are really picking Beatles out of this stuff, and it's actually not the only time on this album even Beatles stuff is mentioned in relation to this. So let's ring the Beatle bell. I do recall thinking that it was more Beatle-like because it was more poppy in general. It was because of Brendan's infusion, if you will. Uh, there was a lot more of that kind of McCartney-esque kind of power pop at play. Agreed. This song must have been seen as something special by the group as well because it was also released as a single. And really, when I think of the album Broken Boy Soldiers, I think of this as a singles album. There were a lot of singles on it. Each song sounds kind of like it could be a single with a, with a couple exceptions. So it's, it's no surprise that this was a single and it was a big hit for the group. This was the Tour's fourth biggest hit as a group. And the single was released in August of 2006. So we're coming a few more months into this album's release the album was released in the spring this is august so this is in i i would say the midpoint of what you might call the album's maturity usually you see between three and four singles on an album depending and that one right at the end there as we learned from amy hart on our greatest hits episode is usually just to try like sort of wring the last dollar amount out of the <laughs> out of the record and so but this one was sort of in that mid-range Mm-hmm. Chart position. It charted on the UK Hot 100, number 29. It's pretty high. Hmm. 
It spent one week in the top 40 and another two in the top 100 before dropping off. So a very brief chart appearance, although, you know, about a month. So that's that's not really a, all that bad of a run. But Jack and, and particularly the Raconteurs, after something like Steady As She Goes, which was on the charts for almost a year, that does seem a little brief. And the single also went to number 15 in Canada. Those kooky Canadians always loving the hands. Yes. And more specifically, actually, I, I mentioned August. It was actually released on July 31st, 2006. One of the B-side tracks is a live rendition of the song It Ain't Easy, which is a, a Ray Davies cover, which actually Bowie also did. And It Ain't Easy, they played quite a bit and was released as one of the B-sides. And it's, uh, oh, it's a great, great track. I love this their version of it. Yeah, I dig it. And got that western desperado feel to it. When you climb to the top of the mountain, look out over the sea. Think about all the place perhaps where a young man can be. And you jump back down to the rooftop. Look out over the town. Think about all the strange things circulating around. So there's a music video for this song, mm-hmm. uh, and this music video, James, was very close to being a rag and bone because it's crazy. Oh, have you seen this video? Uh, it's nuts. I may have. Me... It came out a- after the single's release, but was shot on July 4th, 2006, at the Dykemark Psychiatric Hospital in Asker, outside Oslo, Norway. The plot of this music video involves a magician breaking the band out of a mental hospital where they then go travel and infiltrate a school compound for deaf girls and free their instruments from the sleeping headmistress's quarters without waking her. Then everyone has a party. (laughs) Uh, It's a really weird music video. I'm watching it. I have it on in the background now. It's um, it's got some definite. Uh, oh, they're magicians, huh? You're right. Okay. Well, the ones that break them out are. Yeah, uh, it's it's got some one flew over the cuckoo's nest vibes. It's got some pre orange is the new black vibes, and there's a guy who yeah. looks a lot like Tim Heidecker, but is not Tim Heidecker. It's real weird. I highly encourage everyone to check out this music video. It's bonkers, and that brings us, James to track three, Broken Boy Soldier. Love that Broken Boy Soldier title track. Yeah. Well, yeah, the somewhat eponymous title is track, which they changed to plural and made the album's title inspired by the cover photo shoot, like we talked about last episode. Yes. And, oh my god, it is just a deaf school. Alright, they're all using hand signals. <laughs> I'm gonna just stop this right now. I love this uh, song. It's fantastic. It's the most Jack White song, I think. At least for now, on the album. It's got a lot of grit. 
to it. Uh, it's funny you say that. It's one of my least favorite oh, on the really? album. And in fact, it, it might actually be my least favorite. It just, it's a little drony to me, and the sound is so dense and unrelenting. It doesn't really give your ear a moment to, well, I was going to say give your ear a moment to breathe, but th- there's such a thing as ear fatigue, you know, sometimes listening to songs that, that have a certain level of sound coming at you, and this one is so unrelenting. The only time it really breaks is when they do the da 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 that's really the only time it breaks, and so I do find this song kind of exhausting in general, although I like the melody, and I like when they play it live. They do a nice slowed-down acoustic version of it. sort of a swingy jazz feel to it yeah I, I like that version too a lot i always like it when they change stuff up either either for a single or a live version that stuff always uh it interests me because in a time of not too much jack white i, I take as much variety as i can get but yeah. I, I don't know i always liked the lyrics to this song i always thought it was interesting and a little more raconteurish in the sense of the definition of raconteur being a storyteller i always thought it was a little more like that a little more troubadour like more like donovan right. that kind of thing yeah i mean that's in my opinion this song sounds the most like what consolers of the lonely would be mm. and that album really leans into the raconteur thing yes and i know you love consolers yes and so yeah all of that makes perfect sense to me uh, it, it's just not my favorite on this album it, on an album full of so many poppy singles this one seemed like kind of a downer it seemed like a satan leftover but like a really angry satan leftover i'm fairly confident in saying that this is one that jack brought to brendan because this was another song that he and brendan demoed during that very first songwriting session they had it was steady as she goes and this one Hmm. brendan's contribution being steady as she goes and jack's being this one as far as the song's content uh, this is via that empire from the blues book he sings about putting childish things away which it should be noted he specifically championed in the white stripes as a concept (laughs) so this is another case of him changing his tune or evolving as an artist the white stripes would be back after this record but for one more Mm. and then they were done so this is toward the end of the white stripes as a thing Jack talked about this one a little bit in Uncut Magazine. He said, I guess it was about breaking out. Like it's time for everybody to grow up kind of thing. There's a feeling when all your friends are musicians and nobody has a real job, you wonder how long this is going to last and how long it's going to be before people start, well, not getting a real job necessarily, but treating people with respect and acting more responsibly. This was the second song we wrote, and that's when I knew things were going to get interesting. So... That goes to, we talked a little bit about Jack feeling comfortable for once. 
mm-hmm. or embracing the notion of you know having a family settling down as they talked about in Steady as She Goes. This feeds into that. Mm. It's it's a common theme for this album. I yeah I never actually got that vibe from it, but that's interesting to learn. I know Jack really likes metaphor and, and metaphors that layer on top of one another. And I always assumed there was some face value metaphor in this, in -hmm. that it's an actual soldier, and then they're in the heat of war, and then because they're in war, they're young children, and then they're being faced to fight this war, so then they're a man, but then they're a child again, and all that stuff. So I feel like there might be some of that, but... I trust him at his word when he says that there's uh, when he says that it's about breaking away from the rock and roll lifestyle and all that stuff. I think it could probably work on both levels. He tends to do that with his songs. And I also think that he's of the opinion, as am I, that whatever you read into the song is what it means, because that's what art is. It's interpretation. Mm -hmm. This was also a single released from Broken Boy Soldiers, I believe the second single, because this one was released in April of 2006. This was the Tours' second biggest hit as a band. Really? Yes. It charted at number 22 in the UK Hot 100, which was higher than Hands, and... Yeah, this overall was uh, The Rack's second biggest hit as a group, and uh, did spend one week in the top 40, and then another in the top 100 in the UK. Hmm. Yeah, this is a single-heavy album, and a single-heavy band, really. Yes. So that brings us, James, to track four, Intimate Secretary. Ah! And I appreciate everything she's done for me, but I did have to let her go. <laughs> Durga, last episode, filled us in on this song and its meanings as it pertains to the Masonic Temple. The intimate details, if you will. Yes, the intimate details. Uh, She went into this at length last episode, so I don't think we're going to dwell on that too much here, but it was hard to find stuff on this song, honestly, and actually the only thing I wound up finding was that little room discussion board that Callie mentions. Even though it was tough to find info on this, to me, it's clear that this is a song Jack and Brendan co-wrote together, particularly because of the call-and-response nature of the back-and-forth in the song. You know, there's, you got, I mean, it's not quite call-and-response, but you have Brendan's bits, and then you have Jack's bits. They delineate pretty clearly, I would say. Yeah, he likes those kinds of things. He tries to include them as much as he can, and we went over it a little bit in the Loretta Lynn episode. We said that he puts them in everything, and Loretta wanted one in there. So he he definitely likes these call-and-response type songs. Yeah. I, I mentioned in the last episode, this is my favorite song on the album. It's so crazy. Brendan's parts are meaningless, I think. I, they're just... I have an uncle, but he got shot. I don't actually know if Brendan has a shot uncle, but... He's talking, he's singing about teapots and... I had a pen, but um, I lost the top. Yeah, I got a rabbit, he likes to hop. It's just very, it's childish, very childish, but in a way that's very McCartney-like and in a way that I kind of responded to when I was hearing it. And to me, the melody and instrumentation and construction of this song is some of the most interesting on the entire album. I would dare say rivaled only by Store Bought Bones, mm. but that's, that's just me. Well... 
it could be that this is all Masonic code that Brendan is spitting out, and uh, he's basically putting the hit out on <laughs> someone. Sounds likely, honestly. I went through and started to look up some of these crazy-ass words Jack is using in here, uh-huh. and then I started to notice some thematic similarities to other things going on the album which i read into them so a lot of this is probably off base considering i didn't have that masonic template but jack says a couple of funny words here cacistocracy this is sung in one of the verses it is defined as a state or country run by the worst least qualified or most unscrupulous citizens And, and here's the most interesting Jack White connection to that. The word was coined by English author Thomas Love Peacock. <laughs> it's a too bad. It wasn't my brother. Oh, God. Hello. Thomas Love Turkey. Yes, my, my brother-in-law, Thomas Love Turkey. <laughs> Carl, I didn't realize you had a brother. Yes, he's a, he resides in the Isle of Wales. He's a Welshman. He's Thomas Love Turkey. And he loves a good turkey. <laughs> you know, I heard in England, turkeys are called a lord. They are. They are indeed. Yes. When you say you want to lift a turkey, it, it means you want to pick one up, chew on its giblets, and you want to... <laughs> Have you ever just wanted to pick up a turkey? Already sopping with gravy. Just take a big bite out of it. Mm. I'm just getting glossy in anticipation of eating a nice, delicious turkey that my brother, Thomas Love Turkey, has created. I'm getting a little lightheaded. Please, please don't elaborate. (laughs) His voice actually makes me lightheaded. So, uh, this is... So, cacistocracy... First of all, Jack saying funny, long words that are kind of weird and esoteric is something he does often in songs. Mm. I'm talking, like, on Lazaretto avuncular, Ah. uh, songs like that. I know our mother was Um, very proud of him for using that word. (laughs) Yeah, uh, but even though it's sort of a common thing for him, I think it's kind of cool and one of the more interesting things about his songwriting. And so, it was funny learning what this is. So, you know, I mentioned that this is basically a government run by idiots uh, and criminals. Histrionic. So That's another one. Make my fingers histrionic one. like this. But when you think about Jack's feelings toward Detroit at the time, it's a town's music scene run by people who he perceived to be the worst, most bitter, inhospitably contemptuous people on the planet. <laughs> so does that have a connection there? Maybe. We know that was on his mind at the time. So... Hmm. It's kind of interesting. Ecclesiarchy is another one. That means a government ruled by or in conjunction with religion or a church state, a union of church and state. I suppose you could interpret this as Jack saying, then on the rubble of scummest malarkey, down with luck we'll see ecclesiarchy. So being beaten up by Detroit, Jack finds a union with Brendan. Maybe. Maybe. I'm I'm reading into all this. I have no idea, but given that there's not a lot of explanation here, honestly, the Masonic stuff makes much more sense. But uh, it, it is it could be a way you interpret the song. That brings us to track five, James, a song called "Together." Ah, we're together again. Me and this song. You want everything to be just. 
just like the stories that you read but never write. This one sounds a, a very Brendan-like. I've heard songs like this in Brendan's music. If you had told me this was from a Brendan solo album, I'd believe you. Yeah, I agree. I get this one confused a lot because of the tempo and tone is very similar to like Yellow Sun, so and which is another Brendan mm-hmm. masterpiece. Uh, but it's definitely full on Brendan Benson. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There's a couple of really beautiful lines in here, though. I always loved lines like, so you got to learn to live and live and learn is kind of cliche, but then the follow-up lyric, you got to learn to give and wait your turn, mm-hmm. I thought was always kind of a, a a pretty little turn of phrase. And we know Jack pointed out in, as we talked about in the last episode, that Brendan catches flack for finding the beauty in cliched phrases. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, I, f- I think he found the beauty in that one. Yeah, and I, the lyric directly after all of that in the beginning of the song which was uh, we wrote our names down on the sidewalk but the rain came and washed it off so we'll write them again in wet cement so a long time from now people know what we meant i, I like that right. sentiment exactly i don't know if you were going to get into that line at all but that was another one i was going to mention it has a lot of that i don't know adolescent love writing mm-hmm. your name down temporarily but thinking it's really special so you should write it down permanently and then i don't know uh, it's it's interesting to me because it reminds me a lot of dating and girls and in high school and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, it's got a, got a lot of that in there. This was one that I found a little bit of information on. Brendan had been working on this song for his next solo album. Mm-hmm. So this would have wound up on My Old Familiar Friend mm-hmm. had he not used it for this album. So we do know that was one. That was probably one of the songs that he was going to be demoing with Little Jack and Patrick when they came by to Detroit and started recording this album. Uh, yeah. Jack mentions via Uncut Magazine that he thought Together was a song that Brendan had some lines for, so he was recalling, too, that Brendan had some stuff prepared for this particular song. And I found this one interesting, another Beatle connection. The Aquarian website compared this track with the John Lennon Plastic Ono Band album, huh. um, which I think is them responding to the fact that it's mostly a baseline an unfuzzed electric guitar and drums, which is essentially what the Plastic Ono Band album is. Yeah. A little stripped down. But it's pretty. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a pretty stripped down song. Which leads us to a very layered produced song called Level, James. Track number six. Bum, 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 bum. songs I was really attracted to the thing first came out uh, another great poppy rock and roll single yeah this and hands are very similar songs to me and they both play a lot with Brendan and Jack's strengths pretty mm. differently and diversely I think 
I agree. The band did release this one as a single in uh, September of 2006, so this is getting kind of late into the year there. And this was the Raconteur's fifth biggest hit as a band. Mm. It charted in the U.S. Modern Rock chart at number seven. So that's pretty high for the Modern Rock chart. One of the very few songs, if only song, on this album with a guitar solo in it, which is awesome. And it's great. This one and the next track have awesome guitar solos. But weirdly, this song didn't chart in the UK, which seems fairly anomalous in Jack's career. It's because the band released it only as a US radio single. What the logic there was, I could not tell you. But whatever the case may be, it marked the band's return to the top 10 in that modern rock chart, duplicated only one more time after this. So the band did start big with Steady As She Goes, but they didn't really revisit that echelon of hit making much more after that's that. weird because they did definitely market it as a single in the uk with the 45s because there was an xl pressing of level on 45 in the uk well if there was i could not find it on a chart oh yeah yeah it's just it's just odd to me that a radio station might not play it over there it's possible they did and it just didn't chart for whatever reason there was a a music video for this song but not like a video like hands and steady she goes had it was a live music video directed by sophie muller with audio mixed by kevin shirley and assisted by jared kvitka at document room studios and this video is really cool because it sort of is the kickoff of the tour and the band for the raconteurs they're in that big room with the calligraphy r and it's mostly a black room and it's really the first time we caught a glimpse of the band live prior to the tour Mm -hmm. and it's badass because it's a badass song yeah definitely so going back to the equipment for just a minute when they played this song live jack uh, used his gretsch triple green machine the one with the two cutaways and the built-in retractable microphone and it had an also an optical theremin next Uh, to the Bigsby, and he used that for level when they played it live, so uh, that's crazy. Which we briefly go over in the Halloween episode, episode four. Check it out on Halloween. So it's a great song. I don't have much more to say about it other than last episode. If you want to listen to the third woman segment, Callie talks about possible Masonic links to this song as well, mentioning that on the level was a phrase that was started by the Freemasons. Hmm. And that brings us to my second favorite song in this album, Oh, it's a good one. Oh, I love this one. It's the one I return to the most, I think, aside from Intimate Secretary. We have Store Bought Bones. Ah, uh, yes. Another very Jack Gritty song. Good, good tune. You can't buy what you can't find, what you can't buy, what you find, that you can't buy, what you can't, you can't find, what you can't find, what you can't, you can't find, what you can't find, what you can't buy, what you find, that you can't buy, what you can't, you can't buy, what you can't find.
it's this is something that could have come off Lazareno. Yeah. Know? This is something that could have come off Icky Thump. This one spoke to me so much as the kind of thing that Jack was just going to be doing for the rest of his career. Blue Blood Blues may as well be this song. It's just the tempo changes, the hard edge to it. I mean, this one is really the proto-Black Bat Licorice. I think maybe even more successful than Black Bat Licorice. I just love this song to pieces. And there may be a reason. Yes, go on. Beyond just the song. Did you know and I learned about this via Uncut Magazine, that store-bought Bones originated as an outtake from the White Stripes' Get Behind Me Satan album. Really? That's awesome. Yes. You can kind of tell. It's got the fury of Satan and the experimental disjointedness of that album, but in a more refined kind of arena rock sort of way. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I could see Meg bashing the drums to this. <laughs> uh, this is via the AV Club. Jack White uh, is talking about the song, and he says, The song tells you where it wants to be. You just let the song tell you. Store-bought Bones on this album. That was a riff I was playing with Meg, and I just knew it wasn't a White Stripes song. You just go with it. Huh. So I'm happy it found a home on this album. Yeah. I mean, Keeler's drumming on it is superb. He goes nuts. You know? It's crazy. And uh, honestly, it is nice to have Little Jack playing bass on it, too. I mean, the whole band being there definitely refines the song in a way that the White Stripes could not have done. So I appreciate it in that regard, for sure. I do for similar reasons. This is via Uncut UK. They asked, what inspired the organ sound for Storebought Bones? And Jack White says, I'm a big John Lord fan. And you don't hear organs with that grunt and that crunchy sound anymore. So I have no real conception of John Lord. Let's, let's play a little bit of that now. Uh, Jack went on to say, but we're also learning that people think something sounds like Brendan or sounds like me, and in fact, it turns out to be the other way around. On store-bought Bones, Brendan played Slide, which is always the first thing I would normally go to. Hmm. So that's cool. Yeah. I mean, the organ also is something Jack also goes to often, so... Yeah. At least on tour. I think that's implying that Brendan plays that slide lead. Really? Her? I mean, he's he's equally as talented on the guitar, so I believe it. I just thought this was an interesting tidbit from Pitchfork's review of the album. They call out Storebought Bones as, might be the best merger of the assembled talents, featuring a distorted organ and manic slide guitar that would be tired amidst a White Stripes record, but retains its zang here, alongside a nimble rhythm section and Benson's understated vocals. Ooh, it's zang. Love that term. (laughs) Uh, And speaking of Zang I don't know why it's speaking of Zang That brings us to track 8, Yellow Sun Ah, shining in the afternoon Yellow sun is shining in the afternoon I'd really like to tell you But I feel it's too soon My actions are dictated By the phase of the moon The phase of the moon The sun isn't hiding when it's... This is another one that sounds... 
so Brendan-y mm-hmm. that um, I, I have to believe that it was another one Brendan was preparing for his album. This is a extremely Brendan-y kind of song filled with a lot of Brendan-y type of lyrics. This is fit for alternative to love. It's just ready to go on that album, honestly. It's so happy and depressing all at the same time. It's just, it's great. <laughs> Yeah, but then then again, I, I have to believe Jack did contribute some of these lyrics here because there's little key phrases in there that remind me of Jack's stuff. The line, the sun it isn't hiding when it sets on you. It's not a coward like me, and I know uh, that it's true. That is Waiting for the darkness now is all I can do. So that's, he sings about cowardice a whole bunch, you know? Yeah, that has Jack written all over it, but Brandon yeah. definitely had the chorus down, yellow sun is shining in the afternoon. Oh, well... <laughs> Yeah, that and the bridge is the bridge is bizarre. You're making me hungry. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's like maybe it's you know how some people stare at the sun and they sneeze. Maybe Brandon stares at the sun and gets real hungry. It's real weird, man. <laughs> it's just it's it's a really weird lyric, but uh, you know I like the song. It's uh, it's pleasant. It's a pleasant sort of acoustic break for the album the album it does have a lot of heavy stuff on it so it's nice to have these kinds of moments as well you know what i mean yeah i agree what does it mean though it needed a break it needed a bridge but why is brendan so hungry i don't know i i think i'm about done talking about that song let's call it a day <laughs> okay oh oh we're back on track <laughs> yeah would that be okay yeah <laughs> That is my second least favorite song on the album. It's fine. It's kind of a slow dirge that does have moments that I enjoy. There's moments I like. I'd venture to guess you've constructed this plan. When it gets to the end of the different stanzas, there's uh, some nice harmony going on. But um, yeah, it's just not my... It's not my favorite, although they do a thing which reminds me, and again, a lot of uh, John Lennon, like something off of the Mind Games LP, when they go and they do the, uh, almost a doo-wop sort of support singing, when they, like, for instance, when Brendan says, was your way of saying goodbye, and then the rest of them go, goodbye, you know. down and cry. The only part I think I like legitimately of this song, it's definitely a bit of a downer for the yeah. rest of the album. I do like it. This is another one that I found Brendan confirms he was working on for his next solo album. Mm-hmm. I could I could see that. And when this song is performed live, the band sped it up a great deal. And you can hear that sped up version on the Zane Lowe EP that they put out. Can we call? Yes, the Zane rendition. That's that's the Zane rendition. Yeah, and James, obviously, we talked about the difference between the Bane and the Zane rendition last episode, but the Bane rendition was really just sort of a jam that they later put the lyrics of Store Bought Bones to. 
and the Zane rendition is a different thing. Huh. Zane Lowe, by the way, is a uh, Grammy Award-nominated New Zealand-born radio DJ, live DJ, record producer, and television presenter. It looks as though he made his name in the UK. He has shows on BBC, MTV, something called Beats One. Beats One is the Apple radio station that you can only have if you have iTunes and all that stuff. Uh, in oh. fact, the Third Man Records just recently took over, in quotes, Beats One, and did our job for us, and had Ben Blackwell on and Jack White on, and did basically wow. a little radio show. It's a 24-hour radio station, though, so they, they do little oh, that's awesome. takeovers. Yeah. Fantastic. So there's that, and then that brings us, James, to the last track on the album, a song called Blue Veins. Ooh, Your Blue Veins, which uh, I think we're going to go over in a little bit, because time is a flat circle, as you like to say. Yeah, so this is one that uh, Callie Durga is going to fill us in on in a little bit when we get to that segment of the program. But just to sort of go over this song a little bit here, it's a slow, bluesy number that is, uh, in my opinion, a much more successful version of something like Call It A Day. It's funny, this one received a lot of call-outs and accolades in the different reviews because it's a standout kind of badass sort of track. This is a, yet another Beatle reference we get in the reviews of this album. Pitchfork compared this song upon the album's release to I Want You, She's So Heavy from Abbey Road. Huh. Yeah, all right. Which I can kind of hear. Yeah, I can hear it a little bit. It's not a note for note, but sure, I'll give them that. Rolling Stone held a reader's poll for best Jack White songs of all time, and this one came in at number nine. Really? Blue Veins cracked the top ten. Man, I mean, it's great. It's a great song. Uh, I It is. I have a love for it, an affinity for it. I know you do as well. And James, veins in the body. Right. They're surrounding... Rap- they're surrounding muscle tissue and the muscle meats. Um, yeah, yeah. The muscle meats. Yeah. And those muscle meats and, are, are uh, fibrous uh, pieces of human that are covering a skeleton. The, the, right, the skeletal uh, form, which are made of bone. Rag and bone is when we find something weird or strange or unusual and we stick it in the podcast in this little segment because, you know, we couldn't find a home for it exactly anywhere else. And we figure we bring some a little attention to it, but shine a little spotlight on our insides and on our rags and our bones. This one, James. <laughs> so when I was searching for Blue Veins trivia on the Internet... I found a couple of uh, interesting things. Okay. None of them pornographic. <laughs> Blue Veins is the, also the name of a couple different things. I'm guessing a porn star. No. Okay. It is the name of a women's health advocacy group in Pakistan. Good. Very good. And it is also the name of the 2016 Hong Kong vampire television series, Blue Veins. Oh, yes, it is. Of course it is. James, do you want to hear the plot of the 2016 Hong Kong vampire television series, Blue Veins? Paul, there's nothing I want more. I'm assuming (laughs) the yellow sun isn't shining on these folks in the afternoon. (laughs) No, it is not. I love that there that it's a fictional show. Great. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we get it. Yeah, we know. We know it's a fictional show. 
I'm just gonna I'm just gonna edit this real quick to just type in three little letters N O N non-fictional. Yeah. Uh, so this is a fictional show, James, about nine immortal humans who fight against vampires. 500 years ago, ten members of the Cam Yi Wai took an order to kill a group of vampires of unknown origins. All except one were killed by vampires. After the vampires left, the nine Cam Yi Wai's dead bodies were struck by lightning and turned into super-powered immortals. In the present, the nine immortal humans hide amongst the people, seeking and killing vampires. They believe that they could be mortal again if they kill all the vampires. I don't know what led them to believe that, but they've all clearly got some sort of weird lightning poisoning. Lam Mung Nam is a vampire that has been trying to be human for a decade. <laughs> Just a decade. <laughs> uh, she hides in the lamb. <laughs> it's not a long career of trying to be human. I've been doing this for about a decade. Uh, she hides in the Lam family, residing with her human sister, Lam Mung Yi, whose parents were killed by vampires, causing her not to speak anymore, and her grandmother, Wong Chi Hung. The grandmother, Wong Chi Hung, rescues three youths who are searching for vampires in the Netherlands. One of them, Ghost Yao Ling Moi, steals a ring from the vampire Xenia's tomb. While they are back in Hong Kong, some supernatural things happen. Ghost gains a mind-reading ability and a stomach ache. Xenia warns them to return the magic ring and claims that it is a family heirloom and that she is responsible for its safekeeping. Ghost's best friends, Ho Nin and Ho Yet, are students from a martial arts school. Its creator and founder, Cam Kin, learned martial arts skills from one of the nine undead humans, Ying Woot Zok, who at the time was calling himself Ying Zo Sang. Cam Kim, also a student called Sequan, works with Mung Lam as a forensic medical doctor. After Cam King dies, he passes his students, Ying Woot Zok, asking him to take care of them. Ying Woot Zok then trains them to be vampire hunters. Holy shit. Paul, <laughs> do you think Lamb Mung Nam is the black sheep in the Lamb family? Yes, I do, James. Yes, I do. And that has been an insane little piece of ragam. James, there is actually one last track on this album if you count the Japanese edition of the Broken Boy Soldiers LP, which carried the B-side, the Bane rendition, as an additional track. Fantastic. I'm still caught up on vampires. <laughs> there you go. And, James, now we're going to we're gonna get into a little reception here. Oh, the reception. The album charted very, very well. It went to number two in the UK. It went to number seven in the United States. It was number 29 on Rolling Stone's 2006 year-end critics list, and it was number 19 on Spin Magazine's list. It was also nominated for Best Rock Album at the 49th Grammy Awards. It was named Album of the Year by Mojo Magazine. And as of 2008, so that's only two years into its release, the album so a total of almost a half a million copies. So it's pretty good, pretty successful album. Yeah, definitely. Rolling Stone had said of the album, expectations were sky high, but the raconteurs exceeded them all. And People Magazine gave the album three and a half stars, making the album the critics' choice of the week. And they commented, Broken Boy Soldiers incorporates just enough weirdness to show that White hasn't completely changed his stripes. I get it. I get the reference they're making. <laughs> 
so yeah, the thing was received very well. I have my own recollections of it being received very well by the college crowd, and there was a lot of, I think, last episode we hinted that it was very big in the dude bro contingent, so it, it definitely hit outside of the hipster crowd and sort of hit a general audience, a top 40 AM style audience, you might say. Uh, that's definitely true. I had all of the cheerleaders and football players who happened to be in my portfolio class and my art class in high school. When I was the one in charge of putting CDs on on the boombox, they were <laughs> always really happy that I wasn't putting on Adam Mazur's music. Which was Regina Spector and... Uh, <laughs> bright eyes oh i love regina oh, i love regina too oh, I but don't i don't think these bros were all up into the into the specter or the bright eyes i don't like bright eyes very much to be honest but yeah they weren't into slow dirges about chemotherapy oh, God. <laughs> it's one guy unfortunately so he went into slow dirges about chemotherapy but yeah, this 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 album definitely had a lot of mass appeal, and uh, James, it, it really changed the lives of particularly Brandon Benson, Jack Lawrence, and Patrick Keeler, mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to get into a little bit of their reflection on the album now. Oh, looking in the mirror, unlike those Cantonese vampires. This is via Mojo Magazine. Brendan says this album feels more like a demo to him after refining the songs while spending a year on tour together. Via Uncut, Jack had to say, I have to honestly say that I'm divided totally 50-50 between the Tours and the White Stripes. My brain now has two options for songs that I write. It's a really nice luxury to have as a songwriter. I have so many songs now for another White Stripes record. Meg and I are working on songs during breaks from touring with the Racks. But this band is making me such a better guitar player. I've taken a 10-year leap in terms of guitar playing, because in the White Stripes, I didn't have time to explore. I had to keep getting back to rhythm guitar to keep the show going. So I think we have the raconteurs to thank for Jack White really becoming that rock god, yeah, you know? Yeah, I guess. I mean, he was already getting there, I think. He would break out into those solos and, and all that. But yeah, this definitely polished him off more, I think. Working with an actual yeah. band with standards and practices. <laughs> Do you remember when there was that whole Jack is God thing for a while? Vaguely. Uh, I wasn't super cognizant of it, so not really, but I, I vaguely remember that phrase. Yeah. You'll still find that lingering on some YouTube commenter lists from older videos some holdovers from that era but that was a very common thing to say the jack is god thing and i think it's because when people saw him solo on this tour much like i did it blew me away i mean i talked on the um the live episode well we talked about this on the listener questions episode seeing him on this tour mm -hmm. with this album was the thing that really made me a, a super fan Brendan said in the same uncut interview, I look at us like black sheep. I look at us next to see what's happening on the charts and it doesn't look like it fits. At one point, we were right behind the red hot chili peppers on the charts and I thought, how can that be? <laughs> I'm still having a hard time figuring it out. The AV Club asks, how do your other bandmates feel about the time you're committing to the tours? Is there any tension? Jack White says, last night it looked like Meg White was staring at Little Jack for like 10 minutes and it wasn't a good stare. <laughs> which is hilarious Patrick Keeler says it was awkward <laughs> um, like Craig Fox who was the, the singer guitarist for the Greenhorns for instance we had worked really hard the last you know 10 years and Craig likes the record a lot and he's just happy for us 
he's working on stuff, and I think it was a way for him to just lay low for a little bit and maybe try out some other avenues for his music, because our band is kind of one-directional, but not in a bad way. I love it. <laughs> so I feel bad for those other greenhorns. How even-keeled. Via the Aquarian quote from Jack, But if you were to ask me what I thought the record sounds like, I don't really know. I haven't gotten my head around it yet. Even live, the songs are changing so much every night. We play that it's turning into a whole different band than when we first started playing. What I can tell you is that nobody said, let's make the band sound like this, or we should sound like that. It has all been off the tops of our heads, and it's changing. It's constantly changing. Maybe that's why he stopped it after Consolers, because there seemed to be a little more homogenizing in Consolers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely possible, and I, I would agree with that assessment of that album. Not that it's officially stopped yet, but it's stopped. Who are we kidding? This is via an interview with Interview Magazine. The interviewer asks, Jack, you were the first to move down to Nashville. What was behind your decision to leave Detroit? Jack says, it's hard to talk about. I've answered the question a lot of times, and I just don't know what to say. I think people have misunderstood my answer. I don't think Detroit has understood my answer. I'd make comments about the scene I was coming from not being very positive anymore for me, and people would take that as me saying the entire metropolitan area of Detroit. I grew up in that city, you know, and I was sort of forced to leave my hometown. I didn't grow up in the suburbs and move into the city and slum it. I lived there my whole life, and that made it very difficult to go, but I couldn't stay anymore. So this is all happening during the time of that first Tours album release when they're going around promoting it and talking about it, mm-hmm. um, which I bring up mainly to point out that the AV Club would also interview the band about that, and the AV Club says, you're all living in Nashville now was moving there a banned decision. Jack White says, no, we all trickled down there one by one somehow. Brendan says, it's definitely convenient, but for me, there were bigger things at play. I really didn't like where I was living. I got robbed a couple times. I was visiting Jack down in Nashville quite a bit, and I really started to like it. Sort of fell in love with it. Jack says, neither of us could function in the Detroit music scene anymore. It was just not healthy. Brendan says, the music or any other scene, it's just so negative in so many ways. So the AV Club followed up with, so you guys are gone for good? Jack says, oh yeah, because of our involvement, even the Greenhorns' involvement in the Detroit garage rock scene, or whatever you want to call it, I don't think we want to be involved in any more scenes ever again. We've had that experience, and it was a good one, and we've learned a lot from it, and I don't have any need to join into that ever again. It's too counterproductive to writing music and performing to the best of your abilities. It's okay when you're 20 years old, you're getting out there and you're learning, but not when you're 30. Jack White says, In Nashville, self-sabotage is not on the menu. And in hipster culture, self-sabotage is definitely one of the entrees. (laughs) So, that's where their head's at. It's uh, followed up brunch by a nice avocado-filled... Superfood. Yeah, (laughs) Avocado filled with coffee. On a brighter note, Newsweek says, It must be a lot of fun to be in the raconteurs. To which Brendan says, It's a blast. But the toughest part is constantly being referred to as Jack and Company, or Jack and his band, or Jack and Friends, that sort of thing. Which I didn't mind on the first record, but... And then the, the interview asked, followed up with, But because you wrote all the songs with him, Brendan says, Yeah, it's just like... You feel a little slighted. Yeah, and I couldn't help but feel the same way when it was coming out. Like, we were obviously Jack White super fans. We still are. But it always felt like Jack White and friends. And I right. 
I always felt a little bad for Brendan, who seemed to be the other front man, and I always wanted to be like, we love you too, and that's why I think we started diving into Brendan's stuff. I think because, not only that, but because we we knew he had similar tastes and his music was also pretty good, and we big Paul McCartney fans, and obviously he's got yeah. a similar sound. But I always kind of feel the same way that he's saying, like, there's these outlets are kind of slighting him the people who are coming to, sh- to the show i don't want to go to a rack and tour show if there ever is one with a jack white shirt on i want to go with a rack and tour shirt on or yeah. or even a jack lawrence shirt like i want to go on with, right. <laughs> with some a blanche shirt you know something like that you know that's funny when we the one and only time you and i ever saw the stripes i showed up there in a rack and tour shirt with brendan benson on yeah it. but i point this out Mainly to, and, and I agree with you, James. And, and I remember too thinking at the time, even you know, seeing them live, I remember thinking like the people were there for Jack. Uh, but I don't think there was ever any illusions about that at the front. And I don't think it bothered the guys at the front because they were reaping the benefits of mm-hmm. that. But then you start feeling kind of like, well, what about me after a while? So I get yeah. it. There was a Pete Townsend interview I heavily pulled from last episode where Pete Townsend is interviewing the tours, but it becomes very clear very early in the interview. Pete feels he's having a conversation with Jack and the others are there. <laughs> uh, particularly, there's one point in the interview where Pete's asking Jack about the stripes and, and then Brendan chimes in. He's like, oh, yeah, well, I'm a solo artist. And then Pete, like, abruptly changes the subject to is like, oh, it's really hot in this trailer. <laughs> and I felt like, ooh, ah. You know, when I was watching it, my stomach was turning a little bit. because I was like, oh, man, you you gotta be a to Brendan. Yeah, and I feel like some of that animosity... Well, I don't want to say animosity, but I feel like some of that frustration can be seen as animosity in some cases. Right, and so I'll, I'll leave with this ominous note. This is via Consequence of Sound. Brendan says, You know, of course, Jack was the most publicized thing about the Tours, and I think, unfortunately, he sort of eclipsed the other guys in the band. And that's not him personally. I think the press did that. The press sort of said, Jack White and company, or Jack White and his band, rarely mentioning the other people who had a huge major part in the music. I'm really proud of my contributions to that band, and it's just a little sad not to be acknowledged for that. Mm. So on that downer note, James, we're going to leave this analysis, and we're just going to give this one a a good old rating there. Oh, let's go to the rating, Paul. James, do you want to describe what the rating system is? I sure will. So we like all, I, I think it's safe to say, we like all of jack white and jack white company's albums uh man we just went over calling it jack white and company uh, we like ah! all of, <laughs> we like all of these albums that have been had some touch with jack white in some way so rating it out of 10 doesn't make any sense because we're all going to put it at like six or seven and above it's not what's the point of the other five points am i right <laughs> uh so we're rating it out of three men because it's third men records all that stuff so we're rating it a uh, one man for like it two men for love it uh three men for gotta have it it's the cold stone creamery system it's foolproof and we're making it happen right here right now we're making history folks you me uh and the rest of this audience we're gonna make this cold stone creamery system happen so the yellow sun is shining on you right now on me yeah steady as she goes give us your rating paul well james 
I gotta say, I love this album. I have a lot of fond memories of this album. Uh, I remember before its release, finding it on LimeWire and not knowing what any of them were and finding all these tracks and getting really excited about it. And I had them on mixed CDs and, you know, I was... Uh, Jack White and Metallica yeah. <laughs> on LimeWire. Yeah, right. I was 21 when this one came out, so I was having a nice little ball. It was, a, it, it was a golden summer and this album was the soundtrack to that summer it's a singles heavy album it contributed so much to jack white's music and to where he would go after this and i would put this definitely in jack's top three albums he's ever worked on and so uh james i really have no choice here but to give this album a three out of three men Nice. Which I don't say lightly. I don't yeah. say that lightly. I mean, but the last couple I gave threes were Icky Thump, Get Behind Me Satan, and this one. And I think all of those are threes, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it's worthy of, of the number. Well done. And you, James. I, too, had a musical awakening during this year that it came out, the 2006-2007 era. I was a senior in high school, and I was basically coming into my own person at the time, and you were trickling music down to me from your college music enlightenment, so I was getting stuff from your friends and from your friends' friends and from you and from all different sources, and then I was getting stuff from my own sources and from my friends, so I was coming into all these new bands, and I was just getting into Jack White at the time, like really heavily into Jack White. I was into him already, but you know, we were really starting to pick up speed on this obsession of ours. You know, aside from like the Flaming Lips and Stone Temple Pilots, the tours kind of rose to the top for me personally. So I would say that this, this does hold a special place in my heart. I do like the as annoying AV club writers will say, the sophomore release better. <laughs> I like Consolers of the Lonely a little more. But this album is pretty friggin' great, and I love it to death. And it even made you make a, a really cool piece of artwork that I still have a print of to this day that you put on a t-shirt <laughs> and wore That's to right. our first uh, White Stripes concert. So I'm going to say, because of the good memories, because of the nostalgia, and because of just for how friggin' great this album is... I'm going to give it two and a half. Two and a half men. Two and a half. Two and a half men, James. A lovely yes. rating. Yes. We've rated this one very highly. Without further ado, we're going to kick it to our third woman for this week. Well, let's kick it to our third woman. Welcome once again to our third woman, Kelly Durga. Kelly, what? You're back again. You Hi, what's again. that you guys, about? You guys, you know, you tied me up and you threw me in the closet. Where was I going to go? <laughs> well, now, well, <laughs> um, you've rendered us speechless. Uh, um, get, get back, get back in there. That's bad. <laughs> just, this is all, just don't send Carl Butterball in with me, okay? <laughs> he's already in there. He's he's trapped. He's got a he's he can't get out. Along with the uh, belligerent Santa. Is that the noise I heard under that pile of coats? <laughs> yeah, he was. It, well, those weren't coats, Kelly. Those were turkeys. They were just that whole room filled oh, with God. them. <laughs> oh, um, we've saddened Paul. He's. Uh, <laughs> 
Callie, you're back. We're talking about Broken Boy Soldiers again, and you've come back here. Last week, you just told us all about Intimate Secretary and about the cult uh, that you joined (laughs) and uh, (laughs) uh, about the Masons and and all that interesting stuff, which is fascinating. I talked a little bit about it in this episode, and now I'm realizing a lot of that was wrong and we'll be editing. Um, but uh, the uh, but today, you've come back to talk to us about the closer on the album. Now, Callie, when you were first on the show, correct me if I'm wrong here, but you told us that Blue Veins was either the first or one of the very first songs that opened up Jack to you and made you become a fan. Am I, am I recalling that correctly? Yeah, there were some songs on Icky Thump that really spoke to me lyrically, but I couldn't connect so much. I enjoyed the music of the Stripes, but I couldn't connect with it because voice is a big thing for me. Mm-hmm. If the vocal doesn't impact me, doesn't grab me, I can't really get deep into it. And for some reason, I didn't connect with Jack's voice on Icky Thump. But it was listening to Broken Boy Soldier that I had my what I call my Jack White epiphany. And I think I told you guys it was the the very last line of Blue Veins on Mm -hmm. this record that there's something about the way he sings, just that very last line that it, it was like, you know, lightning bolt down from heaven for me. And I know you know this evening Like the rest And there's nothing you need to explain You're always the first one to believe me When I say to you, girl I think it's gonna rain But I could be wrong songs that it's kind of funny people either love the studio version or they love the live version mm-hmm. you know you don't necessarily run across a lot of people who love both i'm, I'm a live version I'm yeah a live version guy yeah the, the kcrw one was blue veins obviously is is famous for its live performances at this point mm-hmm. you know it's like it seems like in each of the three big bands the white stripes the dead weather and the raconteurs he had one song that you know, really gave him the chance to cut loose on the guitar and, and just like yeah. crazy. Dead Weather had Will There Be Enough Water? Which yeah. Was like yeah. That. And I think in the Stripes, it had to have been Death Letter. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 But in the, in the racks, obviously, it was Blue Veins. I mean, there was, you know, they had some other great songs like Bang Bang when, you know, he would mm. he would just really get deep into that song. And, and it was always astounding but blue veins was the one that's the one everybody knows especially because of that clip from it might get loud where he's playing and he's cut his finger and there's blood all over the guitar oh yeah that is nuts that's yeah that's probably the most famous live performance of it just because it's in the movie Mm -hmm. but there are quite a few others that when i went down the rabbit hole originally six or whatever years ago i think i spent a couple of months just watching every version of Blue Veins that I could find on YouTube. And there are definitely some notable ones out there. The Bonnaroo 2008, mm. I think, is probably the most notorious. Mm. 
watched that, but he gets so into it, and he looked like he was really worked up at the beginning of the song. Yeah. It must have been a really hot day, and, and he was just in super intense jack mode. Yeah. He's got a complicated relationship with Bonnaroo. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> it might have been that. Who knows? Who knows? Did they have, say. like, a really... Did they have a long set at, at that Bonnaroo? I know, like, his solo stuff was pretty long I think they released it in the vault but like I'm unfamiliar with how Bonnaroo works yeah I I don't know I don't think I've seen the whole raconteur set from that Bonnaroo show um I mean there are definitely videos of it out there but I've, I've never like sat and watched it all the way through so I don't know how long it was or anything but that performance of Blue Veins there was definitely something going on because he gets so into it that during that second solo before the third verse He's going wild, and all of a sudden, it's like he loses his balance, and he falls over, taking down his mic stand. He crashes into a monitor and knocks it over, and ends up laying there on the stage with his head on the on the resting on the monitor playing. And then he drags himself up, and because he's knocked his own mic stand down, he goes over to Brendan's mic to sing the third verse, and then knocks that over, pulls the harmonica mic out of his Green Machine guitar, and starts singing into it, but it cuts out. It just totally cuts out on him. Wow. So he pulls the guitar off and slams it down on the stage <laughs> and then goes back to his copper mic to sing the last line of the song. And then as the band is playing the final notes, he like storms across the stage and heads backstage and the camera catches him as he's going backstage and it looks like he's in tears. Wow. So it's really next to that. It might get loud clip with the blood from his finger. This is probably the most, I don't know if notorious would be the word, but the most well-known and, and most famous, if you want to say, yeah. performance of Blue Veins. Wow. Huh. Another one that's definitely worth finding that is one of my personal favorites is Hovfest in Norway, also in 2008. Never heard of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with the festival. And again, I haven't watched the Rack's whole set because it's on there in bits and pieces rather than like one continuous set. Yeah. But that performance of Blue Veins... He kind of went the opposite direction. Instead of throwing himself all over the place and being totally crazy, at the end of that second solo leading into the third verse, he just stops playing. steps back from the mic and he just stands there for a full minute and the rest of the band just stands there totally totally silent (laughs) and the cameras pick up close-ups of when you watch the video cameras pick up close-ups of his hand Mm -hmm. just kind of shaking over the strings and then it pans up to his face and he's just he's got his head down and his eyes closed and he's you can tell he's just like feeling the emotion of it and, and, and like getting himself all worked up for that final verse and it's just it's the total opposite of that Bonnaroo performance um, and it to me it's like the most electric one minute of silence you could ever experience oh yeah I know you won't yeah it's like the rest and there's nothing to me to it 
sometimes when he does that, it's he's testing the crowd. Yeah, I mean, that, you might think that, but then when they show those close-ups of him... Yeah. He could also have been, like, injured or something. Because, like... <laughs> was that toward the end of the tour? Because he was having a rough time at the end of that tour. No, this was earlier than that, I think. Yeah. I don't think this was that late in that tour. There's another yeah. show, Tea in the Park, on that same tour, where he did the same kind of thing, but he didn't pause for as long. Yeah. Uh, so I think it was just kind of like one variation to how he would do that song. I mean, every performance of this song yeah. is is so different. There's another one from the Eden Fest the same year where he starts it out with a really slow, moody version of Hank Williams' Ramblin' Man. Well, I could say. He sing the first verse. He changes the lyrics. Sing something about a, a can of Coke. Um, <laughs> Consolers tour and album is such a different experience, not just sonically, but I think emotionally for everyone. I'm not sure what's going through Jack's head at that point in time, but the tenor of the band certainly changed when I was doing my research for this episode. Whenever I would find an interview with the group from that 2008 era, it was markedly different, more cynical, a little more aggressive than the 2006 stuff which all tended to be bubbly and giggly and oh we're so happy we're on tour i think there's a few different factors that contribute to that but it's i wonder if that had an effect on how they approach some of these songs just their own headspace when they were approaching this 2008 tour because you're pulling from a lot of 2008 stuff here which is interesting yeah and actually i as i was compiling these and going back and like replaying a lot of those old videos that i had watched originally way back when it did strike me that there aren't, I don't think, as many notable performances of it from 2006. Mm-hmm. Austin City Limits from 2006 right. is definitely a great one to watch. There's an acoustic version that they did for an AOL interface yeah. podcast yeah. that is mm-hmm. terrific. Yeah, I'm the feeling that you gave me. No matter what I do or where I go, it always will remain. Those who wouldn't But yeah, most of the really notable ones are from 2008. And it's, I think what you were saying, the 2006 was really bubbly and fun. They were, it was like they were, it was this brand new thing. It was mm-hmm. almost like they were teenagers again, yeah. playing together, yeah. you know? Yeah. But yeah, in 2008, something about that song, I don't know if he was going through personal things that he brought into it or if it was just 
not as new and fun as it was on the first tour. Yeah. Mm. Um, but he definitely brought some something different to that song. He turned it into this super intense, emotional, wild thing. Right. So yeah, there's definitely a big difference between 2006 and 2008 versions of it. Yeah. As you were talking about that, I was trying to remember if he sang this song at the 2006 Video Music Awards that they kind of played host to with Jack Black and they did and then apparently right afterwards is when Jack Black commented that Jack Black and Jack White have the same (laughs) kind of name and they should play in a duo so I I'm wondering if Jack Black has anything to do with this change of heart and that Jack <laughs> is thinking, like, should I play this anymore? Oh, man. Jack got shallow held. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. That's what it is. Every that would time. Be a sad, sad thing. Yeah, he pauses to think about Jack Black. And- because right afterwards, they also cut to Britney Spears and Kevin Federline right after that. So there's got to be some connection. <laughs> There's an emotional resonance with him now. It's like, this song will forever be ruined by that moment. Maybe that's why it didn't work out when he tried it twice on the Blunderbuss tour. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess I, for- I forgot he, he tried to do that one a few times. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard bootlegs of both performances, and uh, yeah, it just it didn't click with he- the buzzards. The raconteurs seem to connect much more with that song, I guess. You know, through being the band that originally recorded it. The raconteurs in general didn't seem to blend all that much with his solo performances. He all but ignores, really, that first album on on the solo tour, other than Steady She Goes, I think, a few times. Broken Boy Soldiers. Yeah, he played Broken Boy Soldier a lot. When I think of those solo tours and the raconteurs, I think of Carolina Drama and Top Yourself. Top Yourself. Those two, mm-hmm. I, he must have played those at almost every single show. Yeah. I'm off on a tangent. <laughs> so what else you got for us on Blue Veins? What are, Any other notable performances? Well, yeah, there's one that really brought up an interesting thing for me. When they played the 930 Club on May 27th mm-hmm. of 2008, which is a show that I missed because I knew who the White Stripes were at that point, but I had not yet heard of the Raconteurs. So I, since I live right outside of D.C., I kick myself in the ass constantly for (laughs) being so late to the party and missing the chance to see them twice at the 930 Club in D.C. Uh, I actually know know this one. You know that show? Were you there? Yeah, because James and I have a bootleg of it. Uh, Well, it was broadcast on NPR, so you probably have the NPR recording. Uh, Okay, yeah. Uh, It's it's a complete, just one long file, and so I know that if that one comes on for me, I'm in for the long haul. Uh, But yeah, sorry, (laughs) continue. I actually, I I felt like Steve Rogers there. I was like, I know this one, I know this one. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Well, listening to that particular performance of Blue Veins, besides the fact that it gives me a pang in my heart for not having been there, there's something about it that I was listening to Cheap Thrills, the Janis Joplin and Big Brother and the Holding Company album one day, mm-hmm. uh-huh. and it struck me so hard that her performance of Ball and Chain on that record yeah. sounds so much like Blue Veins from that 930 Club performance. Interesting. Believe me, it's so much pain. Yeah, maybe, maybe you could help me. Come on, help me. And I'll say, oh, 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 oh. Now, hun, tell me why. Now, tell me, tell me, tell me.
And if you do that, I mean, it becomes so obvious that Jack and Janice have the same instinct for dynamics, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that same sense of using quiet moments in the song as a means to build drama and intensity before they cut loose and seem to just, like, rip their souls out. Yeah. What she did with her voice, he does with both his voice and his guitar in that song. (laughs) To make even more of a connection, the the guitar playing of Sam Andrew and James Gurley from Big Brother and the Holding Company sounds so much like the interplay between Jack and Brendan. Hmm. And even the bass on that song is reminiscent of LJ's playing. It's a really funny similarity. I mean, obviously, I wouldn't think that any of the guys in the racks or, or Jack would necessarily have any awareness of that connection themselves. But if you listen to them back to back, it's really interesting. I mean, it, it almost makes me feel like somehow the spirit of Janis Joplin like gets into him during yeah. that song. Jack is definitely well-versed in the classic rock gods, as it were. I mean, It Might Get Loud at least has taught me that he he knows a lot about Led Zeppelin at the very least. So I feel like he yeah. he probably touched upon a lot of Janis Joplin music in his younger days when he was still picking up guitar and upholstering and stuff. I've wondered about that. I mean, she doesn't strike me as the type of female singer that necessarily would appeal to him. I mean, obviously he's got to be, you know, he's got to have the familiarity just because he knows so much music. But right. um, if you... Look at like some of the other female musicians that he's worked with and that he's mentioned that he admires. She doesn't seem to fit into the same mold, the same style as a lot of those. Yeah. Which is what makes it so interesting to me. Sadly, the extent of my Janis Joplin knowledge, especially of Cheap Thrills, is just the album cover because I'm very fond of Robert Crumb. But uh, that and I think Janis Joplin sent John Lennon a, a tape uh, for a birthday message, I believe. Uh, and that's yeah. that's pretty much it, as far as I know of Janis Joplin. That was Happy Trails, and uh, that was for John Lennon's 30th birthday, and it was in the post when she died. Oh, yeah. Oh, jeez. Now i got to go look that up. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, well, that is, that is very, very interesting. Blue Veins became one of my favorite songs after, I think it was the KCRW performance, was the thing that opened my eyes. Was that 2006 or 2008? Because I have to go look that one up. Yeah, it was 2006. They did the set the same day that they did. If I'm thinking of the sa- if I'm thinking of the same performance, I think I am. They did it the same day as the uh, "Get Behind Me, Satan" set they, that he did with the Stripes. It's a it's a cool bluesy song, and it's one that I really gained an appreciation for. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to hear these versions too. Yeah, I'm curious about the KCRW because the "Get Behind Me, Satan" one was in 2005, wasn't it? It is a KCRW one, and. There was a time in 2005, toward the end of the year, when Jack and Meg were still on tour with Satan, or just ending their tour with Satan, that they recorded in the same day a Rack and Tour set, um, which I only know because I was I was listening to a lot of audio from that, pulling clips for the episode that I just finished editing, and he meant and the guy mentions, oh yeah, the the set you just did with Brendan and Jack and 
and Patrick. Uh, yeah. And you're working with uh, Brendan. You're working with uh, the, some of the guys from the Greenhorns, who mm. we also recorded a session with today yeah. that we're going to broadcast uh, at another time. Anyway, it is a KCRW one, the one I was thinking of. Whether or not it was that same day, I don't know. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us today. Again, it is always a pleasure having you on the show. Hearing your responses to the show always, always makes my day. You mean a lot to us both, I think, for the show. James, wouldn't you say? Agreed. Every Wednesday, I see your post of, I'm listening to it uh, on my commute today, and I'm like, yay! Because I know that I'm going to get a a nice response, either with stuff that we got wrong, which we always do appreciate, or praise of of what we do. And it's always so nice to hear from you. And it's nice to hear that people are listening and to know you and somebody who knows the White Stripes and Jack White probably way better than I will ever know him. Uh, It makes my day to to know that you're listening to our show. You guys have actually found things in the last few episodes that I wasn't aware of. So, well, you guys are are getting there. Well, we're we'll educate uh, each other. We're happy to have you here as a as a third person correspondent, always, you know, on on the street. I've said before to you guys, I definitely appreciate what you're doing too, because you know, with this Jack White hiatus going on, we addicts have needed something to <laughs> some way to get a fix. Yeah, oh. <laughs> and this has been a, a great way. You know, it, it's always a pleasure to hear people who are talking about the music. I'm speaking for all of your fans, of course, <laughs> not just myself. But <laughs> Now, I, I appreciate well, very much what you guys are doing. Thank you. Well, Jeff. thank you. And uh, and thank you so much for being on the show again. We'll we'll catch you back. We'll, we'll try and have you on the show uh, sooner rather than later again. So uh, thank you so much, Callie. Thanks, Callie. Thank you. And back to the show. James, that was lovely. Had such a good time. Had five. Um, no, we didn't. We uh, we kept on the level. We said greetings that were meant for me. That was some good research, Paul. You really dug through the mud and the bricks. Yes. Uh, yeah. Now we're gonna do some shout outs. And uh, we're going to get the hell out of here because uh, I got fish curry on the stove. We're going to shout out. We're going to got some new listeners here. We've got Maggie Grady. Thank you, Maggie. We've got Butch Macaldo, thank you, Butch. We've got Teresa Coleman, thank you, Teresa. We've got Brandy Nicole, thank you, Brandy. We've got James opening the link list page, thank you, James. We've got Patrick Shanley, thank you, Patrick. We've got Rodrigo Figuero, thank you, Rodrigo. And Tori Storm, I'm sorry, Tori Strom, which I like a little less than Tori Storm, but thank you, Tori. You're great. All of you are great. Thank you for listening to yeah. the show. Tori Storm is like a really good Saved by the Bell name. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. We've, we've also got our regulars day in, day out, talking with us, talking at us, giving us facts, all that good stuff. We've got Keeping Us on the Rails, Jeremy Riles. Thank you, Jeremy. We've got our third woman this week and our third woman in spirit every week, Callie Durga. We've got Adrian King, the punk rock queen. We've got Andre Ice Cold Lime Man. Thank you, Andre. We've got Eileen Corsana. We, we see, see you there, over there. Eileen. We've got David Poe. Poe! 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 We've got S.A. Franco. What does that mean? 
<laughs> we've got Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation, and we've got Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. And, of course, the newest entry, the Me Oh My on Twitter. Me Oh My, thank you so much. Thank you, Me Oh My, and to all of you, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at facebook.com slash thirdmen, on Twitter at thirdmencast, on Tumblr, thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com. You can go to our website, thethirdmen.wordpress.com. You could shoot us an email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. You could check out our iHeartRadio page, which is uh, Spreaker. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. Just search The Third Men on Spreaker. You could find us on YouTube, where James does some awesome visualizers. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And you can also find us on other podcatchers, such as Acast, etc. Yeah, and if you have any listener questions, please send them in. We're doing some listener question episodes, so uh, we if you ask it, we will answer it. If it's about us, whether if it's about Jack White or his satellite bands or whatever. And we'd also like to thank Sam Kuber and Tom Valenti for the help with our theme song, We're the Third Men. And we'd also like to thank Susanna Roundtree for your wonderful intros and outros. You were fantastic. Oh, James. And until next week, I will be looking for a home. And I'll be looking for a home underneath those sticks and stones, Paul. Ah, bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Man, people who are unfamiliar with our show are probably really confused. Oh, there's a dead carpenter ant on my table. Hold on. One, two, three. Gross. How's the dog, James? Okay? She's going ballistic. I don't know. I just closed all the windows and locked the doors and... All right. She's bouncing off the walls. It's fine. All right. (laughs) She got excited over something outside. I don't know. I don't know what. They had a big blowout magazines. Like, all magazines were like a dollar. I found another one. Jack's got a monkey on that one. Oh, I I love that photo shoot. Sounds pretty nice. I was Thanks, um, wearing an Elvis, a terrible Elvis buckle. <laughs> Alright, hold on. I gotta, I gotta stir the curry. Hold on. <laughs> oh boy, that's what the kids are calling it these days. <laughs> gotta stir the curry. Going, going right there, stirring that curry. Gross. Wonder what kind of curry it is. Fish curry, perhaps. Beef curry, perhaps chicken curry. Wonder what kind of spices he's using. Using a rub? 
Maybe he's using it. Good looking yogurt sauce. Fish curry. Oh, it's a fish curry. I was right. My old familiar friend. My old familiar friend. My old familiar friend. (laughs) I'm I'm trying to look up the hungry thing on song meanings. There's a lot of forums about it and um People are saying, like, maybe it's vampires. Yeah, the yellow sun. Maybe it's werewolves. It's the faces of the moon. Maybe it's love. Sure. It's probably love. Well, yeah. Maybe it's love. Um, Jack. But if you... Little buddy and uh, other guy... Yeah, his little buddy, Gilligan. Uh, you know, Martin, Martin Sheen and his little buddy, Gilligan. Uh, James, now... George Michael, um, I'm sure that Egg is a very nice person. I just don't want you spending all Damn. your money getting her all glittered up for...